0: going through what we call the summer of the psalms, and this is the last week, and this psalm that we're going to look at today is Psalm 30. This is known as like the joyful psalm, Um, and here's the reality. I think sometimes when we think of like joyful, when we think of uh, praising the Lord, we sometimes think as if it's because everything's just good, and that's not what we're going to see here. Things aren't always good, but yet in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the struggling, we can have joy in the Lord. And he calls us in to to praise him. So I want to go ahead and let's uh, open up our Bibles to Psalm chapter 30. It'll be on the screen as well. And let's stand in honor of God's word as we read this psalm together. Psalm chapter 30, verse 1 says, I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up, and you have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol; You've restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain sand strong. You hid your face, and I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth, clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. And we pray now that as we dive into it, that God, you would speak to us in a mighty way. God, allow us to grow in our understanding of you. Allow us to grow in our understanding of the character that you have and your faithfulness and your steadfast love towards us. And most importantly, the mercy that you show us. God, again, we want to give you all the praise for what you're doing here today. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. You may be seated. So before we dive into this, I want to make mention, because I know some of you, we we do use different translations. I use the ESV, some use CSB, some use King James NIV. And again, I encourage that. I think there's an incredible, incredible resource for us to be able to see the different translations in our own language when so many countries have none. And what I encourage people to do is when you see something that looks different, almost starkly different, where one has to be wrong, study it. And what you're going to find is actually a deeper understanding of Scripture. We have these translations that are phrase for phrase, meaning this is what the Greek meant. We have others that this is the word that the Greek actually used. And by studying that, we actually grow in our understanding. And I mention that because in your Bible, you might have noticed that mine didn't say the title of this psalm, right? The title in mine says, a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. But yet that's not in my verse 1. In your verse 1, that might be put in there. However, what's in yours might say a dedication of the house or of the house of David, and I want to take just a second and look at that, because too often people will see something like this and like, how can we trust the Bible? Which one's right? All these different things. I think first, if we think of a psalm, it's a song, right? We're, we're told this is a psalm of David singing. This is a song that he wrote. And usually with a song, there's a story behind it. However, if a song is written very well, you don't need the story behind it to understand it. This was written well because this is God's song, right? Yet these titles. They help us understand maybe what shaped the thought process as they wrote this song. We've written a couple songs here at church. There's a story behind that. However, again, you don't need to know that in order to understand the song. Now, this brings up some question for people because some will say, like mine says, a dedication of the temple. David didn't build a temple. He wasn't allowed to build the temple. God said, you're a man of war. You got blood on your hands. You're not going to build my temple. Solomon built it. But that doesn't mean that it couldn't have been sung at the dedication of the temple. Others will say this is a dedication of the house of David because David was actually, God built him a house and David understood that that was God establishing him as king. That would cause you to sing too. This could have been sung there or could it be that this song was sung at a lot of things? I would think so, right? And I say all this to say when we look at something that we don't fully understand and we don't know for sure, like what was it and people like to pick at this. The reality of it is in order for us to know to demand a detailed explanation for every single thing in God's plan, I want you to understand what you're asking for. If you want a detailed explanation of everything in God's plan, then that means at least you need to know every thought, word, and motive behind what every person who's ever existed in this world has done. Put aside what God has done before creation, after all that. that what I'm saying is that's in ridiculous. In this book, you can spend your lifetime studying, and God will show you new things every day yet we don't have all the details. And that's for a reason. God has given us what we need to believe in him. John says that if what Jesus said was written down in books and thrown into the sea, the sea couldn't contain it. That's just what Jesus said. And that wasn't necessarily what he did, what he thought, exclude all of us, right? So we're not always gonna know for sure. And this here is this wasn't a part of the original text, but these are there to help us, just like chapters and verses in our Bibles. They're there to help us. And we're going to see here in a moment, I make a big deal about this because at studying this, I'm I'm drawn to like what supposed contradictions are. And in studying this title and why it was here and why there's different, quote unquote, what the song was dedicated for, God showed me something in the Bible that I'd missed. And so I'm so thankful. So I want to encourage you that when you see something like that, don't just start questioning, oh, how can we trust the Bible? Dig into it and you're going to grow in your understanding of God's word. So again, I hope that makes sense here in a minute as we kind of walk through that. But the first thing we see here in Psalms is Paul, or not Paul, David says, I will praise the Lord. In verse one, it says, I will extol you, O Lord. That word extol means exalt, to lift up, to boldly raise. And there's a sense of defiance in there, meaning that even if you told David, no, he's going to do it anyway, he has to praise the Lord. There's this, I love the energy behind this. David says, I will extol the Lord. I will lift it up no matter what anybody says. Why? Because the Lord has drawn him up. The Lord has lifted him up. And that picture in verse 1 is that God has pulled him out of a deep well. Because God has pulled David out of a deep well, shown mercy on him, he has to praise the Lord no matter what. We think of, uh, again, knowing that this is a song, knowing that David's drawn from experience in his life, we think of those things like how did the Lord lift David up? And he, and he alludes to it here right in the first two verses. He says, you've not let my foes rejoice over me. O oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. O oh Lord, you brought my soul up from Sheol. You restored me from the life from those who from go down to the pit. David is talking about physical things that actually happened. All throughout the Old Testament, David's story is incredible, right? He was appointed king by God when he was just a kid. And it took a long time before God actually established him as king. In 1 Samuel 17, we think of David and Goliath. All of the Israelites thought it was certain death to approach Goliath. Yet God supernaturally used David in a way to slay the giant. Saul sought to kill David all throughout his life. Saul got very jealous of David, right? 1 Samuel 19, basically all the way through 25, is just Saul trying over and over and over again to take the life of David because he didn't want him to be king because he was king. Yet God supernaturally saved David through those physical trials. In 2 Samuel 17, as we're approaching this this area in the, in the Bible. David's son was raised up to try to overthrow and kill David so he could be king. And again, some of you, you so know the story with that. It was a heartache for David, but yet it had to be done. Yet God spared David's life in that as well. And so when we think of the word like shoal, like you brought my soul up from shoal, that is a physical grave. That's where you go when you die. However, that word's also used all throughout Scripture to talk about a spiritual death in Psalm 33 just a couple chapter 31 just a couple one chapter over we see it where the wicked go so show is a physical place where so David's like you saved me from this physical harm therefore I'll praise you but there was also a spiritual harm there was also spiritual death that God was merciful and saved David from can you guys think of one maybe his sin with Bathsheba right we know that the wages of sin is death Death is the just punishment of sin. And as we think about David with Bathsheba, he commits three big ones. He covets her first, he commits adultery with her, and then he murders her husband to cover it up. And I want us to notice something as God sends Nathan to David to confront him. And Nathan gives this illustration of this guy who's done this wicked things and asks David what should be done. David said he should be killed and everything should be replaced fourfold. And Nathan says, you're the man. You're the one who've committed these heinous crimes against the Lord. And God has some very harsh words to say to David. However, notice something in 2 Samuel 12, verse 13. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. David deserved to die for the sins that he committed. Yet that heinous sin, God put away his sin and he did not die can't help but think David has to be thinking of moments like this when he writes this song again Shoal is a physical place but it's also a spiritual place David had personal experience with a merciful God that resulted in uncontainable unrestricted no one can stop him praising the Lord he says I will do this but the second thing we see is he says you should praise the Lord as well look at verse four sing praises to the Lord O you his saints and give thanks to his holy name now, when I got to this, I read a commentary from Charles Spurgeon. He said that he thinks we shouldn't just read the Psalms, we should do the Psalms, meaning that when it tells us to sing, we should sing. And I actually did that as I was studying, that's a neat approach. It really is. Like, we're commanded to do it. It just kind of helps you get in that. So I, that's just kind of a side note that I, I thought it was goofy at first, and I did it. I'm like, that's actually pretty cool. But so David, or David says, look, you should sing the praise of the Lord. You should give thanks to him. And just like he said in verse 1 that I will lift up the name of the Lord because he lifted me up, here in verse 5 he says you should sing the praises for, look at verse 5, his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Now notice anger is before favor. Because he's going to say it again here in the last part of Bible. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. You have weeping first and then joy. I don't think this is by accident. You know, we live in a society where we expect blessing, we expect an easy life. Yet the reality of it is, is that's not how this life is. And I want to make a distinction, though. There are times when suffering is not your fault. There's times suffering is a result of living in a sinful world, and that's why we groan, as Paul says in Romans 8, waiting for the redemption of our bodies when the curse is lifted from this earth. But there's other times that Paul's point, or David's pointing to here where this weeping and sorry is actually caused by ourselves. It's caused by our sin. But even in that, he said, his anger is but for a moment, and the weeping is just in the night, joy is going to come in the morning. That's a fascinating thing. We're not just to praise the Lord because he's creator, even though he deserves that, but God has done stuff for us as well that causes us to do that. When we think anger is for a moment, that word moment is an instant, a twinkling of an eye. Now, it's only a moment. It's not that it doesn't last a long time, but it's in comparison to the favor of a lifetime. The weeping is only for the night in comparison to the joy that's coming in the morning, right? I've been watching these survivor shows. These guys are crazy. They go out there and just live on this island. But it's fascinating because every single one of them hate the night. Why? I don't know. Maybe bears, cougars, lions, all this stuff, right? And they're so fearful of the night. Yet the only thing that holds them through is they know that as soon as daylight breaks, that's no longer a threat. And we see the same imagery here. The night can be extremely scary, extremely difficult. But the morning's gonna change all that. And that's what David's pointing to here as well. Now, I think for us, sometimes when we think of anger of the Lord, it doesn't sit necessarily the same way for us because we're this side of the cross, right? We know as believers in Christ, God's wrath is not towards us. However, because He's a loving Father all throughout Scripture, He disciplines His children. And so when we think about the discipline, when I discipline my kid, I don't do it when I'm fully happy with everything he's done, right? I do it when I'm frustrated and angry for the things that he's chosen to do. But it's because I love him that I discipline him, and then it's over. You know, we go from, I have to discipline Marcus. He's crying, thinks I'm the worst person in the world. Five minutes later, we're laughing, hugging, and having a good time, right? It's the same thing with the Lord. We have to see that same imagery. Because he loves us, he will discipline us. Yet it's for a moment. It's just a twinkling of an eye. In Exodus chapter 20, this is a fascinating thing that I'm sure David knew. This was written well before David. Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, says, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Look at this stuff. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. That is a fascinating passage of Scripture. God says, for those who hate me, I'm going to visit their sin to the third and fourth generation of their kids. But for those who love me and keep my commandments, I will show steadfast love to a thousandth generation of those people. We live in a world where everybody wants to leave money, food, whatever it is for their kids. I'm telling you, the steadfast love of the Lord, there's no greater gift. And David, he didn't see this, but his sons got to see this. In 1 Kings chapter 11, Solomon, he turns from the Lord. After being given all this stuff, he turns from the Lord in his sin, and God says, I'm going to take the kingdom from you because of your sin. But he says, however, I'm not going to do it in your day for the sake of David. Because of David's faithfulness, which we already saw wasn't perfect, which gives us hope, right? Because of David's faithfulness, Solomon says, or God says, I'm going to take the kingdom, but not in your day for the sake of David. He says, but I'm going to take it from your son. But then notice this too, he says but I'm going to leave one tribe for your son for the sake of David. I find this fascinating. And what what David's alluding to in this psalm is that this anger, it's just a moment, it's a twinkling of an eye, but his favors for a lifetime. That should cause us to rejoice. That should cause us to praise a merciful God. Isaiah 54, God says, For a brief moment I deserted you, but with great compassion I will gather you. In overflowing anger for a moment I hid my face from you. But with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you. Again, in the context of Israel, think of the, all the times they just blatantly went against the Lord, blatantly started worshiping false gods. His, his anger and his wrath was justified, yet it was for a moment. And there's this everlasting compassion that he has towards his people. It should cause us to rejoice. As I mentioned before, the New Testament, believers slightly different. We're not in this covenant that has these very strict, you break it, you're out of it. We're in the new covenant with Christ. And Paul talks about this to us and how what we experience. Second Corinthians four seventeen, Paul says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I know some of us are going through stuff that light and momentary might not describe that, right? But before we think that, because again, this is in comparison to something, notice what Paul says in verse 8 of 2 Corinthians, right before this, what he's considering light and momentary. He says, we were afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul says, we were inflicted in every way. Perplexed, we were persecuted and struck down. Let's not forget the life of Paul. Left for dead, beaten, flogged, all these different things. Yet he calls that light. And momentary. Because it's compared to the eternal weight of glory. It's the same thing that we see here in the Psalms. We rejoice because this anger, this weeping, is just for a moment. A brief twinkling of an eye. But the Lord's favor and his steadfast love is for an everlasting life. We praise the Lord. Because his just anger towards us is only for a moment. It's fascinating to me. Though we deserve so much worse, God gives us so much better. Now, I mentioned before with the title, and now I want to get into what God showed me with this title. As I was was studying, like, was it for the temple? Was it for the house? Was it for the house of David? God showed me something that I've never read before. And it's funny, because you might be like me. I've read through the Bible before. I've done the reading plan. And yet you get to passages, and you're like, I've never read that in my life. (laughs) But I know I did, but I don't remember it at all. And I saw something that was truly amazing. So again, I would say that just to encourage you, when you see something that might look different with your Bible or their Bible, look at why. And I tell you, God's going to bless you with a deeper understanding. As I studied this, you know, there's debate as to what was the event that wrote this psalm. I'm going to lean towards this, but again, I don't think it matters. I think, if anything, this was just another event that showed the consistency of David's sin and his need for a merciful Savior. But as we look in 1 Chronicles chapter 21, I want you to turn there. We're not going to read this, but I'm going to kind of highlight kind of what the story is. But I just want you to see it in your Bible and encourage you to go read it at a later time. 1 Chronicles chapter 21. There was another grievous sin that David committed that, again, I missed. And it cost the lives of 70,000 Israelites because of his sin. 1 Chronicles 21, again, I'm just going to kind of give a little highlight. David was... Enticed by Satan, given into pride to do a census. He wanted to count the amount of people in his kingdom. Now we know it's pride as you read on later in the story. David wanted to see how great his kingdom was. He goes against God, the opposition of Joab. He says, We shouldn't do this. He said, No, I want to count. I want to see what's going on. And because of that, God was angry with David. And there's no denying it. David actually says, I have sinned greatly against the Lord. He even says that what he did was foolish in the eyes of the Lord. So David sends Gad, which was, or God sends Gad, which was David's seer. He says, David, because of the sin, you've got three options. And I'm going to do one of them, but I'm going to let you choose. You're either going to get three years of famine. You're going to get either that or three months of the sword by your enemies. Or three days of the sword of the Lord through pestilence. And I'll be honest, when I read that first part, I thought, wow, there's no way in the world I would choose the wrath of God. And as I thought about that, I mean, what could be greater? I don't care if it's three days. The wrath of God compared to the wrath of man, there's no comparison. Yet David chooses the wrath of God. And he does so in a way that was very convicting to me. See, David knows the Lord a little better than I do. In verse 13 of Second Chronicles 21, it says, Then David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Let me fall into the hand of the Lord. Now notice why. For his mercy is very great but do not let me fall into the hand of man. David knew that the wrath of God was far greater than any of the wrath of man. However, the Lord's mercy was great, and that's all he could count on. He had sinned, he had messed up greatly, but he was going to count on the mercy of the Lord. story goes on. The Lord sent the pestilence, and it killed 70,000 Israelites. And then we're told that in verse 15, that God sent the angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw it, and he relented from the calamity. David counted on the mercy of the Lord, and it came through. And at that moment, David in sackcloth with his elders, he looks up and he says, he sees an angel between heaven and earth about to destroy Israel, or, uh, Jerusalem, and he cries out to God. He says, "I'm the one who did it. Punish me! Don't punish the people! Please, stop! What, you know, stop this. They didn't do it. It was me." God instructs David to build an altar. He goes and acquires this threshing hold, and this is a neat little story in of itself. He goes to what's his name, Ornan. And he says, hey, I need to buy, I need to get this threshing floor so I can build an altar to sacrifice to the Lord. And he's like, and I want to pay for it. Ornan's like, no, just take it. You can have it for free. I'll give you the animals. I want this to stop. And David said something interesting. He said, no. He said, I'm going to pay the full price of the threshing floor and of all the sacrifices. He said, because I will not offer a sacrifice that costs me nothing. I thought that was very interesting. So David makes the altar. He buys the threshing floor. He buys the animals to offer a burnt sacrifice. And then he calls on the Lord, and the Lord answers him with fire from heaven. And when it's all done, in chapter 22, verse 1, David says, Here shall the house of the Lord God and there, and here the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. David's sin that cost the lives of 70,000 Israelites because of his pride, he counts on them. Mercy of the Lord. And God is merciful. And he lifts them. And then we know that from this point on, then David prepares to build the temple for the Lord. An incredible story that I completely missed. But I bring it up because, again, I want you guys to dive into stuff that maybe looks different. But this story also helps us fully understand a lot more of what's going on here in Psalm 30. When we look at verses uh, 6 and 7 in Psalm 30, David says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Now, this was in pride that he said this. When you think of the story in 1 Chronicles 21, because we know it's pride, because David actually describes this exact thing in Psalm 10, verse 6, when speaking of these, these kings that believe there's no God, that no one stands against them, he says, they say, I shall never be moved. Yet, obviously, God moves them, right? David says, in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. But then he goes on to clarify what's the reality. He says in verse 6, By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. It was the Lord that made God, that made David such an incredible kingdom and that was proven because the as soon as you hid your face I was dismayed. So now if we think of this story in 1st Chronicles 21. The Lord or David in his pride says, "Let me count how great my kingdom is." And here God was the one who made the kingdom great and God steps back and said, "Do you think this is you?" And then look how David ends up in sackcloth weeping to the Lord, crying out for him to help. The reality of it is for us today is that everything we have comes from the Lord. Every blessing comes from him. We have no reason to boast. David had an incredible kingdom. He had an incredible life. But it was all because of God that those things took place. We should never let that pride start to build up to where we think we're something. When actually it's the Lord who's doing something through us. It's an incredible reminder for us. David says that he will praise the Lord. Because... God has done so many things for him. He says we should praise the Lord because he's merciful to us as well. But then he's going to go on here in the last few verses, and he's going to show us how we are to praise the Lord. If we look at verse 8, David says, To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. Again, I said before, not every suffering in our life is a result of our sin. It's a result of living in a sin-sick world. But there are times that he's pointing to here when it is absolutely a result of our sin. And we're not to approach the Lord like, God, why would you do this to me? What are you doing? Instead, in those moments, we plead for mercy. Because his anger is just in those moments. His discipline is just. Verse 10, he says again, Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. Lord, be my helper. Twice in these two phrases, he's calling on the mercy of the Lord. And as we saw in 1 Chronicles 21, that's what he's counting on because he knows what he did was wrong. There's times you and I know what we did is wrong and we're to plead to God in mercy. That's how we praise him, because then he's going to show up. Now, David says in uh, verse 11, he continues on. Well, actually, I want to back up and parallel the First Chronicles again. In verse 11, David says, You turned from me my mourning into dancing. You loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. And if we think back on First Chronicles 21, you can read in those verses, where again, David in sackcloth cries out to God to, to hold his hand. And then God restores him. And I, I just think that's an incredible parallel to what's really going on. We hit those moments where we're pleading for mercy because of what we did. And yet God is merciful to us. And he restores us with gladness. It's incredible. In verse 9, we also see where David, he kind of, again, we're, this is how we're to praise the Lord. There's actually, there's a reason we're here and not in heaven right now. If, we, if God's design was just for us to be saved and go to heaven be with him and not spend any time here you know, then things would be different. But that's not the case. He says in verse 9, he says, What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? And the obvious answer in the context is no. David understands that when we breathe our last, we can no longer praise the Lord and tell others about him here. Friends, that's why we're here. We're here to be his ambassadors. We're here to tell others about the love of Christ. We're here to tell others about a a saving Lord that was merciful to us and extended grace to us. That's what we're here to do. And the second we breathe our last, we can no longer do it. And so when David is pleading for mercy, it's because he wants to continue to be able to do that. God deserves glory and honor and praise. And if he dies, he can no longer do that here. So we're to approach the Lord asking for mercy. And God will respond to that. We have a merciful God. We have a God who says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But he does that for a reason. He's a merciful God. He's a great God. But it's also for us, too, and what we can then glorify him with. In verse 11, it says, you have turned for me, right, the mourning into dancing. But then in verse 12, it says, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. When we cry out to a merciful God, and He is merciful to us, He then gives us the opportunity to then tell of His greatness, to praise Him all the more. Mercy's not getting what you deserve. And if we really are honest with ourselves, we deserve the wrath of God. We're all sinners. And I also think as Christians, we, we've not only been given mercy, and, I, and I've thought about this a lot, and I don't know where I actually rest on this, with the understanding of the old testament saints do they have the same understanding we have this side of the cross i don't know i mean there's definitely some hints there that they they know quite a bit but as christians what we know we've not only been shown mercy not getting what we deserve we've also been shown grace where we get something we don't deserve jesus showed mercy by not making us pay for our or god showed mercy not making us pay for our sin And then he extends grace where he gives us the reward of the perfect life that Jesus did. Sin doesn't go unpunished. Christ had to pay for it. So as Christians, not not only receiving mercy, but also receiving this life in Christ, how should we respond? David writes to these Old Testament saints and how they should respond. If not anymore, at least the same, we should respond the same way, right? So why is it that we don't? Why don't we rejoice? Why don't we sing praise to the Lord when things aren't going good? And I wonder if it's because we've all forgotten at times what we truly have. And I understand we get tied up in this life. This is all we see. We can't see heaven. We can't see the future. And if we're not careful, all we focus on is right here, right now. And when things don't go good, we, have, we struggle praising the Lord. But we're not called to do that. We're called to look towards our heavenly home. And when we do that, these things here don't matter as much, right, in comparison, Ephesians 2, verse 4, Paul says this, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. God, being rich in mercy, when you and I were dead in our sin, dead in our trespass, he made us alive in Christ again. We deserve to die for our sin. The wages of sin is death. Yet he showed mercy where we didn't have to do that. Jesus did it instead. And then he makes us alive in Christ. Christ is alive because of the perfect life he lived. You and I don't deserve to be alive. Yet we get to because of Christ. How much more should we praise the Lord? As I thought about this, it's overwhelming. There's been times where I've just been frustrated with the Lord. And in those moments, I, I forget what he's done for me, and I, and I pretend as if he owes me something. And again, there's times that are harder when it's not self-inflicted. But definitely in those times where it is, we still justify it away. And as Christians, let us not forget what we have in Christ. We're to praise the Lord with everything we have because he has been merciful to us. He's extended grace. He has saved us through Jesus' sacrifice. As God the creator, he deserves worship from his creation just because of that. Yet how much more when he shows mercy to us and extends grace. And so I pray today that it, we're reminded, if we've forgotten, of the, what we have in Christ and that we can joyfully sing what, what Paul or David says here in the very last part of verse 12. O Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. I'm going to ask the praise team to come and I'm going to ask you guys to bow your head as we think about this. I want to take just a moment in the silence for each of us just to evaluate what we have from our merciful Lord. Again, I think too often we get focused on this life and it is definitely hard when things come at us that aren't our fault. However, we're to take courage in the fact that these are just for a moment compared to the favor of a lifetime. We have to live this life groaning for the redemption of our bodies. Yet in that same passage, Paul says that it cannot be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us in heaven. We serve a merciful Lord. And I hope that we're at that point as David where we're going to praise the name. We're going to lift the name of the Lord up because he lifted us up. And no matter what anybody says about it, because it's our proper response. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for speaking to us through your word. I thank you for recording this down for us to know and to understand who you are and what you've done and how we are to respond. God, I pray today that if there's those of us here who are Christians who have begun to forget what we have in you, that God, you would remind us. And that God, that we would just weep for joy for all that you've given us. And God, though hardships come compared to glory in heaven, they don't compare light momentary affliction compared to what you're going to do in us. God, I pray for those today who may not know you. That God, that your word would speak to their heart that you would open their eyes to the need of a Savior, and that they would call out to you in mercy. God, you're a merciful God, and you deserve our praise. And I ask that what we do here today brings glory to your name. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand together and let's respond through song.